Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, friends, and welcome to Bible Truth for Living with Pastor Tim Reynolds. We're sure glad you're tuning in today or maybe joining us on the on the uh, podcast. We're continuing our series titled Kingdom Marriages, Families, and Finances. And today we're going to look at God's blueprint for kingdom marriages. I'm going to read from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, what we're going to be looking at today is the blueprint of kingdom marriages. You know, architects and contractors, uh, engineers, professions like that rely on blueprints to build and construct whatever project they are working on. Uh, imagine a crew uh, showing up to work early one morning and they're preparing to build a 50-story building. The foreman arrives and calls all of the group together and says, now, what do you guys think we ought to start working on today? You think we should start with some plumbing or maybe uh, some concrete pouring or electrical? What, what should we work on today? Well, a building would not get built if that was the way that it went. Uh, no plan, no blueprint, and the project would certainly fail. Uh, just kind of hoping that that 50-story building will somehow all come together and get completed. Now, that sounds silly, but that's how oftentimes people approach marriage. Two people get married at a young age, and they hope to build a 50-year-long marriage, but they have no plan, no blueprint, just working on problems as they come and hoping that the relationship will somehow hold together and survive. Well, the Bible is the best blueprint for marriage, but for that blueprint to work and to benefit, it must be read, it must be studied, it must be understood, and it must be applied or followed. Today, what we're going to look at then is the beginning blueprint for kingdom marriages from this passage of Scripture. We're going to begin with the blueprint of sanctity in marriage. Now, the word sanctity means the state or quality of being holy or sacred. I mentioned this a week or two ago that marriage is a sacred covenant to God. It's more than just a contract, like you're uh, buying a car or a house and uh, that sort of thing. It's more than that. It, it is a sacred covenant, sacred commitment, you're taking sacred vows, and God wants us to see it just as sacred as he does. And he has Paul, the Holy Spirit does, has Paul write in this first verse regarding the power of touch. Now, if you listen again there to verse one, Paul begins this portion of his letter saying, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. As the founding pastor of the church of Corinth, apparently someone or maybe a representative group has written the Apostle Paul to get his insight on marriage and how to handle things like physical desires. It must have been an issue in that day or they would not have written to him. 
the, the city of Corinth in that time would have been considered sin city of its day. Uh, you you know, uh, sin city in America is Las Vegas, and you've heard the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, in those days, what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It was a city of debauchery, a lot of sexual immorality, uh, pagan worship, and those sorts of things. And so what's going on here is you have new believers in Christ who are coming out of this pagan sex craze culture. And now they're struggling with how do we deal with marriage? How do we deal with uh, things such as uh, physical desires? And uh, how how do we uh, follow Christ and yet deal with what's going on in the culture? Now, uh, what's interesting is that we have that same situation today because we are certainly inundated with sexual images, sexual suggestions today through media, through technology. It's on television. It's on the Internet. It's in the movies. And it's a real struggle, especially for young people, how to control, how to understand physical desires in a culture that basically says anything goes. And so Paul's going to reply to what has been asked of him. He says it is good or appropriate, uh, wise for a man not to touch a woman. Now, why is that? Well, because in doing so, uh, you would be feeding the flesh and giving opportunity for temptation and eventually sin. You know, even the way that we touch can be perceived as flirtation. It is a very powerful means of nonverbal communication. And Paul says it is really good, it's wise uh, for a man not to even touch a woman. But it's also uh, something that's very unlikely to happen because God has given us a physical sexual desire. And so he gives then in verse 2 the permission to marry. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, and I'll explain that in more detail in a moment, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. He is saying that in order to appropriately then express the power of touch, you know, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, but that's not really realistic. Uh, If that was to happen, you'd never have children. So (laughs) it has uh, has to occur. But for that to occur, it is to be reserved for the marriage relationship for your own wife uh, or your own husband. Now, what I'm going to talk about uh, probably is rarely spoken of in churches, but it should be because uh, it's all over our culture today. For some reason, uh, we avoid this topic in church because we are maybe uh, concerned with how it may come across or dealt or dealt with, and I'll do my best to deal with it, but I think that we need to understand these things from a biblical point of view, and we're going to talk about how that God has given uh, humanity a sexual drive and a means to express and control that drive. Now, the first thing I want to address is the purpose of sexual desire. Why do we have this this desire? Well, I think there are four purposes. Number one, it is for procreation. Uh, God gives us all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Uh, As God here is commanding to Adam and Eve, the first two people, uh, the scripture says, And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So God wanted them to have children, wanted them to have offspring, and so he gave them this physical desire for procreation. And then God gave it for personal companionship. Chapter 2 and verse 18. 
Now, at this point, Eve has not been created yet. And the Bible says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Everything up to this point in creation, God had said was good, but this is not good that a man is alone. I will make him a help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. All right. Now, God knows what's going on here. Okay. And he's going to make a help meet for Adam, but he wants Adam to see his need for a help meet. And so before he ever creates Eve, God brings the animals before Adam. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but uh, I, my personal opinion is that this is the case, that when God brought the animals to Adam, he brought them two by two. He brought them male and female. And he would bring the lions, and Adam would name them lions, or tigers, or hippopotamus, giraffe, whatever the animals were. And as he began to name them, I be, I think Adam began to consider, now wait a minute, every one of these animals have a mate. Uh, every every uh, gorilla has a mate, every uh, hippopotamus, every rhinoceros has a mate, and I don't have one. And then I think he also began to realize, you know what, I'm not compatible with any of these. One thing that the theory of evolution has done is it has told a generation of people, really now two or three generations, that they are descendant from uh, from animals, all right? Well, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that we have evolved from animals, but that we are created in the image of Almighty God, all right? So Adam realized, hey, these animals are not compatible with me, and I think he began to think in his mind, you know, I need, I need someone that matches up with me, and I think that's what God's purpose was in bringing these animals. And now the Bible says in verse uh, uh, 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. You might think of this as divine anesthesia, as Adam is put to sleep. And he, God, took one of his, Adam's, ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. So now he's brought all the animals, but now he's going to bring a woman to Adam. And I personally believe that she was probably the most beautiful um, creature that God had created. Uh, He had hand-formed this woman specifically for Adam. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. (laughs) Someone has said that he said, whoa, man. Uh, You know, he realized, hey, there's something different about her than from all of the other creatures. God had made her specifically for Adam for personal companionship. And then God gives a physical desire to humanity for pleasure. We see that in Genesis chapter 18. At this time, you have Abraham and Sarah. They are very old, and yet God has promised them a seed, a son. And uh, the Bible says in Genesis 18 verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She was at an age when she would no longer have children. In fact, she was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. Can you imagine that? And Abraham was 100 years old. The Bible says, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also, referring to Abraham. And so God also gives this 
desire that we have for procreation, for personal companionship, and for pleasure. But God instituted this to be expressed within the marriage relationship. And when we go back to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the fourth purpose is to prevent sexual sin. That's why it says in verse 2, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Now, what is fornication? That's one of those Bible terms you don't hear a lot in regular uh, language. Fornication is any sexual expression that is outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So marriage, anything within the marriage relationship, God says that's okay, that's honorable between these two people. But when you get outside of that, it becomes a perversion. And that's the next thing I want us to see is the perversion of sexual desire, the perversion of of physical desire. You know, anything that God purposes, Satan perverts or twists. Now, here are some perversions or twists of the physical relationship that God instituted for a man and a woman. And the first one is polygamy. Now, polygamy is multiple partners, multiple uh, being married to uh, two husbands or two wives or, or more. Listen to, again to 1 Corinthians 7 verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, singular. It doesn't say wives, plural, but singular, and let every woman have her own husband. All right, God does not approve of polygamy. Now, sometimes people will say, well, in the Old Testament, they had multiple wives. You know, you take David, a man after God's own heart. Well, God did not approve of that. God allowed David to to live that lifestyle, but David certainly paid the consequences for that. So did his son Solomon. And that is not what God instituted in the beginning. It was male and female, a man and a woman uh, in marriage, singular. So polygamy would be a perversion of that. Another perversion would be incest. We find this spoken of in the book of Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 6. God says, none of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. So incest would be a perversion of God's purpose of physical or sexual desire. The third one is adultery. Leviticus 18 verse 20. Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally or physically with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. All right, that's outside of the marriage covenant. Another one is homosexuality. That's in verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. The word abomination means it's actually a stink in the nostrils of God. It's a turn off to God. God says that's a perversion of what he instituted between a man and a woman. And the other one is bestiality in the following verse, verse 23, neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Now here's what we see. When marriage is perverted and twisted, sexual behavior becomes perverted and twisted, and then the society becomes perverted and twisted. And that is exactly what we have seen occur in our nation, especially going back to the Obergefell decision back in 2015, where same-sex marriage was recognized by the Supreme Court. When that happened, 
Uh, you've got to admit, there was just a slippery slope that has been occurring now for the past six or seven years from that. Why? Because marriage got twisted. When marriage got twisted, sexual behavior began to be twisted. You have confusion of genders now, and it just continues on, and the entire society becomes twisted. And that's what uh, the Bible says happens when you get away from what God institutes as marriage. Now, the next thing we're going to look at is the blueprint of sacrifice in marriage. Now, if you've been married for very long, you know that marriage is sacrifice. Uh, You're not going to stay married very long if you don't make sacrifices. Uh, give you an example of sacrifice. You know, in baseball, I'm a, I'm a, a sports fan, and in baseball, sometimes a batter is called upon to make a sacrifice bunt. Now, it's a sacrifice because the batter is almost guaranteed to get out. All right, he's going to bat and get thrown out at first, but he's doing that so he can advance the runner for the good of the team. You know, maybe you have a big home run hitter and uh, he's on a streak and uh, he wants to swing for the fence and hit a home run. But the manager says, no, I want you to to lay down a sacrifice bunt for advancing the runner and for the good of the team. So he sacrifices himself. So the other player gets in a position to to succeed. Now, when you think of sacrifice, you know, that makes me think of salvation because there is no greater sacrifice than what Christ has made for us. Amen. I mean, think about it. Here is God in flesh leaving the portals of heaven to come to the earth to live among sinful men and then to be spat upon and beaten and then crucified on a cross. Why would he do that? Well, he did that because he wanted to sacrifice for us. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Christ did. So in the marriage relationship, when we sacrifice for one another, we are demonstrating that love that Christ has for people as he sacrificed himself for us. And so when we think of sacrifice, I want to share a couple of things in this area. And I'm going to call this first one, the sacrifice of consideration. Now I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and read verse 3. The Bible says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Now that word render, let the husband render, it means to give or to give in, all right? So let the husband give or give in unto the wife due benevolence. The word benevolence means kindness, all right? Here's what that means. You owe it to your wife, men, to be kind to her. And ladies, you owe it to your husband to be kind to him. In other words, it takes giving in of your opinions and your interest and your rights in order to make the other person happy. Uh, And that's so hard for us to do because we're all selfish creatures and we all want our own way. But if we're going to have a marriage that is pleasing to God, we have to be willing to sacrifice and to give to give in. If you try to have it your way all the time, man, it's going to be a it's going to be a tug of war. It's going to be a war of words. And, you know, sometimes two people who have been married to one another for a long time will often say the meanest things to one another. You know, things we would never say to someone at the grocery store, we'll say to our spouses. And we know where it hurts. You know, we know what to say that will be a a real dig to our husband or to our wives. And we should not do that. The Bible says don't do that. Let me read this to you in Ephesians chapter 4. 
And uh, I'm going to read verse uh, 29. I read this verse last week, but I think it's worth repeating. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Corrupt communication are those words that tear down. They, 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 they really stick it to somebody. They cut um, and, and they hurt. The Bible says, don't let that come out of your mouth, but only those things that are used, the use of edifying. Edifying means encouraging or building up. And then I'm going to skip to verse 31 continues with this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Do you speak with a heart of bitterness to your spouse? Do you speak in anger and just keep things stirred up? The Bible says, put that away. Now, here's the key, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. The reason we talk so hateful sometimes to our spouses is, let's be honest, we've not forgiven of something they've said or done. And so we'll harbor unforgiveness. And then at a time when uh, the marriage is under strain and you're arguing, that's when the words come out because the forgiveness has not been given. Now you say, Pastor Tim, you don't know what he did to me in the past, and I just can't forgive him. Well, you need to ask God to help you with that because your relationship will never heal until you forgive. But I want to read the rest of this verse because it's very vital when you think of forgiveness. Listen to this. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I can guarantee you this, whatever your husband did to you or whatever your wife did to you, as bad as that may seem, it's not near as bad as how much you and I have offended God. Now, if God, for Christ's sake, not for our sake, not because we're good, but for Christ's sake, if God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us of our sins, who are we to say, well, I can't forgive my husband? I can't forgive my wife. We need to let that go. We need to ask God to take that bitterness out of our heart and to forgive and begin to heal. And when that begins to heal, the peace will begin to come into the relationship. The The mean words will cease to come out of the lips because we're being kind one to another and we are forgiving. And then the last one I want to give you after the sacrifice of consideration is the sacrifice of control. Listen to verse 4. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, this is countercultural, but it's scriptural, all right? We do not have power over our own bodies, all right? Number one, if you are a believer, your body does not belong to you. The Bible says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, that is within you. Uh, you are not your own. You're bought with a price, the price of Christ's blood. So for a believer to say, well, it's my body, uh, you're going against scripture because the scripture says your body is not your own. Not only that, but if you're a believer that is married, your body belongs to the Holy Spirit, but it also belongs to your spouse. According to that verse, your body, the Bible says the wife hath not power of her own body. You know, we hear a lot about that today, especially when it comes to the abortion issue. Well, it's my body and I'll do what I want to do and decide what I want to do. Well, you know, I guess if you're an unbeliever, you can go ahead and say that. But according to the scripture, uh, for a believer, your body belongs to the Holy Spirit. And then if you're a, a believer who is married, your body belongs to your spouse. 
And so that means that you don't have control of your own body, that your body belongs to your spouse. Now you say, man, that sounds far out. Well, it's what the Bible says. Take it up with God. I'm just teaching you and telling you what the scripture says. All right. Now, when you think of this area of control, I want to, I want to share two thoughts and I'm done. Number one, in the area of affection. We should not use affection and intimacy as a means of controlling our husband or wife in the relationship. Now, Paul is going to address this in the same chapter, in fact, in the very next verse, but I'm not going to read that to you because that's for next week's teaching, but I just want to mention it to you. So uh, if you are a husband and you say, well, I'm not going to show my wife affection, I'm not going to give her hugs and kisses because I'm angry at her. Uh, you are trying to control the relationship by withholding affection, and God's not pleased with that. Same thing for the wife, all right? And then you have the area of allegiance. Now, what is allegiance? Well, allegiance means to be faithful and devoted to. You think of the Pledge of Allegiance. You put your hand over your heart. You pledge allegiance to the flag, right? You're saying, I'm, I'm going to be faithful and devoted to this flag and to this country. As we get older, affection is often shown by our allegiance and our commitment to one another. It's not so much in a physical way as it is saying that I am with you through sickness and through all the things that go along with it, even uh, to the point of death. Uh, you know, I've seen folks do that. Uh, we have a dear couple uh, in one of our churches that have been married for 68 years. That's a long time. And right now she's going through a lot of physical problems. And yet her husband is right there alongside of her where he is supposed to be doing what he should do. And you think, well, you know, there's not a lot of affection there. Well, actually there is because the affection is being showed by the allegiance to one another. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. You know, sometimes we fall not only physically falling on the ground, but sometimes you get down emotionally and thank God for a spouse that will pick you up, maybe in times of discouragement and in times of depression. And uh, so what I guess I'm saying is that let your husband or your wife know how much you appreciate them. Let them know that you're there for them, no matter if there's no money in the bank, no matter if they're in the hospital and things are, are, are going bad. We're going to stick this thing out together because I'm going to be devoted to you and you'll be glad that you did. All right. Because of your faithfulness to uh, your husband or your wife and God will be pleased with it as well. Well, I pray the message has been a help to you. This has been a subject that I think needs to be preached, needs to be taught, and needs to certainly be applied today. And so I hope that you take it and uh, maybe even share it with someone. Don't forget, it's available on our podcast as well. And you can find that on the Bible Truth podcast uh, with Pastor Tim Reynolds at your favorite podcast uh, store. And uh, we appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And I look forward to being with you again next Sunday. Until that time, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at Hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.